Welcome to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, also known as the URM Jam, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we will address the real and perceived barriers faced by historically underrepresented in medicine students and residents who are considering a career in academic family medicine. We'll provide practical tips and personal advice on topics like leadership, scholarly activity, CVs, mentorship, and more. I'm Dr. Omari Hodge. And I'm Dr. Tochi Iroku Malise. And this is URM Jam. So welcome back for another episode. Today we have Dr. Meili Velez Dalator, who is the program director of the Eminet Health Family Medicine Residency in West Covina, California, and the chair of the family medicine department at their sponsoring institution. She graduated from UCLA with a bachelor's degree in physiological science, attended the Charles R. Drew UCLA medical education program, and completed her residency training at the Long Beach Memorial Program in California. Dr. Dalator is the workgroup leader for the STFM's URM Faculty Pipeline Workgroup. She is duly board certified in family medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. She enjoys teaching medical students and residents and has a special interest in resident and physician wellness, curriculum development, pipeline programs, mentorship, community medicine, procedural training, and caring for patients and families of all ages. On a personal note, Dr. Delator is married and has three children, and she enjoys spending time with her family and friends, reading, arts and crafts, hiking, traveling, and kayaking. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I just want to, you know, I want to say that right off the bat is that uh, we have two things in common, uh, that we're both dual certified uh, in uh, family medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. And we both are married with three kids, but I draw the line on that hiking and kayaking. So, (laughs) oh, not me. I got into that. I I don't know how that happened coming from Brooklyn. That's not supposed to happen. But you make it, you make, you go down south or go west. It just something. I don't know. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. You know, um, it's so good to have you on our show. And we're going to jump right in there, Um, Dr. Delatore, if that's okay. I know we just heard your bio, but can you kind of break down for us your journey? into academic medicine. I know a lot of our listeners would like to know how you actually, your particular path. So um, that's a great question. Um, It's actually a a long journey. And I say that because I began my journey in elementary school. And I think somebody in the podcast before had mentioned something like that. I'm originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and I moved to California at the age of nine. And in elementary school in Puerto Rico, they annually have a teacher day and a student day. And during the student day, students that are, do well academically get to teach the class. And so I was that one student that usually got selected to teach. And it really um, nurtured a love for teaching at, at that early age. When I went to college during my first year, I took a year-long course in English with an emphasis on education, and, and I got to study different educational models. And to this day, I credit that experience for helping me join academics. And as a matter of fact, my instructor wrote one of my letters to um, for medical school, which was great. Um, and then, you know, throughout college, I, I tutored for the academic advancement program, which is a program at UCLA that helps URM and financially disadvantaged students navigate college life and academics. 
uh, in medical school, I became a member of the curriculum committee. And then in residency was actually identified by one of my faculty as as somebody that, that should join academics. However, when I graduated, I just I, I just had that fear that I wasn't ready to transition yet. And so I ironically interviewed for a program to join as faculty and was hired, but then decided to work somewhere else part-time because I had just had my, my baby and, and thought I wasn't ready. And after several years, I thought, okay, I think I'm ready now. Went ahead and applied to the same program and was hired on as faculty in 2005 and have been in academics ever since and and really just have loved this journey. I um, became associate program director at another program in 2014, joined my current program in 2017, a brand new program as associate program director, and then transitioned into the program director role in late 2018. Wow. Oh, Dr. Hodge. Thank you. I'm going to be tapping your hand because uh, (laughs) I I just took a position as a program director. And so I'm like, okay, I I got a new friend. So if you get emails from me, (laughs) you can't ignore them. Okay. No, I would be more and more than glad to help. Yeah, it it is. It is unique. There are a lot of resources available for program directors. It's it's a small community, but, you know, I think we're all very friendly and, and helpful. So please, by all means, um, feel free to email me and I will answer your email. Right. And I'm going to echo that. I'm going to echo that in saying that all the people that I met many moons ago when I was a program director, that's how we remained. We've remained friends as we moved, all moved mm. on and become chairs and, you know, DIOs mm. and senior vice presidents, et cetera, things that as we moved up, deans, associate deans, et cetera. Um, we all met way back when <laughs> we were we were program directors. That's wonderful. Uh, so that's uh, that's really interesting. Okay, so I'm going to g- get into this now. So we're, you're on the podcast. You're one of the guests that we really, really, really need to have because you've been credited with coming up with the idea for having this podcast to address the needs of URM students and residents who are interested in academic medicine. So. Can you just tell us how, what was your thought process? What made you think that this was something that was going to work? I mean, just tell us. Well, you know, first and foremost, I want to say that it takes a village to, to bring this vision to, to life. And, and I'm really grateful to both of you for, for doing such an amazing job. You know, you're going to laugh, but Really, the, the whole reason behind this is because I'm an avid podcast listener. I'm so bad that I have I have water headphones so that I can listen to stuff in the shower. In the shower. So, <laughs> so and, and you know the, the the thing with podcasts is that I just I, I thought it would be great to leverage technology in a way that would be practical, useful, low cost. And I I don't know about you, but I get a ton of emails every day. You know, there's a lot of there are a lot of resources out there, websites, etc. But there's just too much information overload. And podcasts is something that you, that are you can take with you wherever you go when you're walking, showering, like in my case, I'm, I'm really bad, exercising, driving. And I just, I wanted to make that information relatable and accessible. And that's really the, the story behind the podcast. Wow. That's, I, I, I'm just, 
amazed yeah. <laughs> that, but that you listen to a podcast in the shower. <laughs> 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 because the, you know how they say, I don't know if you ever watched that movie. Uh, I forgot what it was. Nine to five, I think, or they, or they or working girl. I forgot what it is. But uh. when they say, how did you come up with the idea? And then that's how we know it really was your idea. The shower podcast yeah. scene in my head makes me say, yes, you really this is her idea. came up with this idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. I, I, love, love, it. It. I love it. So you've heard, you've heard quite a few of them. Do any of them stand out to you? Were any of them kind of in line with what you were envisioning? Honestly, I have loved them all. They're all amazing on their own light. One, one that really struck out to me was the one that was done by Dr. Critchlow. And, and, and the reason for that is because she said something that was so powerful and resonated with me. And that was that imposter syndrome is internalized oppression. And really, mm. as somebody mm. who is URM myself and who, who English is my second language, I just thought, wow, that was amazing. What she said was was really powerful. But honestly, I, I have loved them all. I have learned so much from, from each one of them. And I recently hired a, a faculty and I was talking to her about the podcast and she she listened to it them really quickly and, and said, you know, those were I'm not a student and I'm not a resident, but those were incredibly helpful. And that's really what we want to see. You know, that's probably the greatest compliment for this is that we want something that can pivot to whatever the audience member and wherever they might be in their career, whether you're a student, a resident or a faculty. I've learned a ton by being a part of it. I'm sitting here interviewing people and taking notes at the same time. I'm like, oh, wow, that's <laughs> exactly a little tidbit, right? you know? Right? Like, yeah. So that's wonderful. Right. Yeah. No, you're you're and you're right. Uh, I've heard of a number of people that have actually I. One of my colleagues, he, he, oh, Dr. Simmons, he was on here. And um, he said that he gave it to his faculty. He's like, okay, you need to listen to this. Uh, this will help you. This faculty development, let's go. <laughs> Pay attention. Uh, and because and, it was an easier way, like you mentioned, people are tired of getting emails or sitting through long lectures or, you know, having to read long, long articles. You have to do that all, every day anyway for a lot of the material to, in your life, clinical research, and then, of course, academics as well. But having a podcast, something short to listen to um, that gives you some take home points is really, really effective. So I'm going to the next thing I'm going to ask you is which one topic do you think should be addressed for members of our audience in the future? Um, you know, you, you say that all of them were good and et cetera. But is there anything that you feel like, hey, you know, we really didn't get to address this particular issue? Well, if I may, I actually have three that I that I was thinking about. Absolutely. You know, Listen, first, this is your podcast. Like, that's right? it. You, 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 you can have 10. Do I, do I need to turn on the shower water? Hold on a second. <laughs> do, do your thing. Do your thing. Yeah. No, well, you know, the, the first was um, imposter syndrome, because I think that's something that a lot of us have to face. And and sometimes it could be daunting for, for people to even consider a career in medicine, much less a career in academic medicine. So that's something that I would love to see addressed. And also as, as program director, one of the main concerns that I have is the low number of URM students that are entering medical school in the first mm -hmm. place. So a lot of times when the application cycle starts, I just am not seeing a lot of applications from URM students and that deeply concerns me. And I think it's important that we have that conversation because 
it's great that we are focusing on residents and, and students, but you have to get the students um, in the first place. And, and I'm just seeing a, a drastic decline. And then just lastly, learners in difficulty. Um, sometimes CRM students may struggle because they don't come from that traditional background. They don't have those resources that other students have. They don't have family members that were physicians that can tell them what it, what it's like. And and so I think it's not only important to recruit, but you also have to retain. So I'm just since we since you brought those three topics up, I figure maybe let's just tease them out a little bit. Maybe because you've just given our listeners, our audience, um, three things that we should have been addressed. Imposter syndrome, what, 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 what thoughts would you have in terms of how to address that? I'm thinking for me, imposter syndrome, I'm saying, okay, it's just a matter of every time I see anyone, I tell them you are worthy and you're, you're a capable, right? That affirmation um, that yes, you can do this. Yes, you can do this. Like when you said that you didn't take the job, you were, they wanted to hire you and you didn't take it because you didn't feel you were ready. Um, having a child, that's different. If you thought it was because of the child, your child, but thinking that you weren't, your skill set, your knowledge base wasn't good enough yet. That, that's where I would have wanted, you know, to, to really affirm who you are and to, you know, having good mentors, a good, 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 a good village around you of your people who will say, listen, um, people are always texting me, say, Hey, this position, should I take it? I'm like, yes. I'm like, but I don't have everything. Yes. You don't need everything. You learn it as you go. Keep it going. Keep it moving. Apply. Worst case scenario, you don't get it, but at least you've applied and you know what it takes to get in. Right. So I think that's one of the things that for us who are in these positions now, anyone we see, anyone we see, uh, we, we, we give them an affirmation that they are worthy and they can do this. And that, you know, they should just go ahead, go for it. So I think that'll be part of it to tell them. And when they're in the meeting and I see that new person who's in the meeting and say, hey, welcome. You nervous? That's okay. Being nervous means you really, really are serious about what you're about to do. You're taking this really seriously. And this means a lot to you. Welcome. You belong here. You know, on top of that, something else you said, and and then we'll turn to see to let you respond to both of our comments. And I never thought about this. It kind of made me think of this quote from a movie. There's a movie called A Walk in the Clouds with Keanu Reeves. It's a love story. Mm-hmm. And there's this one scene in, in a movie, and I might've said this on a podcast before, I don't know, but what you said made me think about it. There's this one scene, the guy, he's just, uh, the father of the daughter, he's Hispanic. He, he owns a, a wine garden and Keanu Reeves mm-hmm. wants to date the daughter. And Keanu Reeves is typical American born, English speaking, and the daughter, a strong Hispanic origin. The, anyway, father doesn't like, the, 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 the guy who's dating his daughter. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's normal. Then he says this one thing to, to Keanu Reeves. He says, just because I speak with an accent, don't presume to think that I think with an accent. Yeah. It's amazing that Correct. a person who speaks two languages should have to feel inferior to most of us who only speak one. And so it's amazing how like the imposter syndrome can even make the gifts that you have and the abilities that you have seem as though they don't measure up to any. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, uh, in addition to what Dr. Uh, Iroko Malay said. No, I, you're right. I completely agree with you. Particularly, you have countries where, where children learn multiple languages. And, and sometimes over here, if, if, if you have an accent, it may not be looked favorably upon. But I think, you know, even even having a podcast where people have a conversation and they're vulnerable and they discuss techniques that they used in their personal lives to overcome that imposter Mm. syndrome. Because I think intellectually, we all understand it. 
but you know, it's, it's easier said than done, right? I think a lot of times we have to have that internal conversation over and over um, with ourselves to mm-hmm. tell ourselves that we're yes. worthy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Yeah. yeah. And then you talked about also the low number of URM students entering med- medical schools, just that whole pipeline issue. What are your thoughts on that? I think we we discussed it briefly in one of our one of the other uh, podcasts. We talked uh, touched on it because I mentioned how we we talked about how you have to go all the way to uh, elementary school to get them uh, to get to yeah. pull your students. And then when you said this is is part of your journey, I was like, ah, this is what we're we talking about. <laughs> you have to go all the way to elementary school because if you don't have that opportunity, um, you are lucky that they had the teacher for the day where you got to get up and talk. But if you have right. people that look like you who are in there telling you yes. This is a pathway for you that that's, I think, is really important to get uh, underrepresented in medicine to to, you know, those, those students to actually go forth and go into medical school first. Right. Because you have to go to medical school before you go into academic medicine, um, you know, if you're going to be a physician, a commission. So your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think practically speaking, some of the things we can do, whether, you know, it be in residency or medical schools or, or big institutions is to create programs that address barriers, whether they be financial barriers or test-taking barriers, things that, that, that students really struggle with would be super beneficial because, you know, just us being aware of it is, is not really going to solve the issue. Some students have to work during the summer yes, um, or even during the school year, and they can't afford to take a, a Kaplan course, let's say. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those are things that we can do hopefully to to kind of nurture and create programs that are that are helpful and just really target what the issues are. And and of course, you know, role model creating that's why I think we have to battle the minority tax, but at the same time, you know, students need to know that there are people that look like them mm-hmm. and have lived their experiences mm-hmm. so that they feel more comfortable, you know, going through the struggles that it takes to join a career in, in medicine. And then, and then the third thing you had mentioned that you said you, you wish we had discussed was learners in difficulty. Can you ex- expand on that a little? Yes. I mean, I, I, I have a personal philosophy that it takes so much for somebody to become a physician that when a learner is struggling, I, I think it, it really falls on, on the residency program or the medical school to try to do whatever they can to help the student out. I I know not everyone may share in that philosophy, but it's important to just recognize the issues for what they are. I think sometimes we get caught up with, you know, the fact that somebody may not be performing as well and and we don't look at the story behind the story. Right. Um, And so I think sometimes, you know, when we have a learner that's struggling, it's important that we create a support process or a remediation that is helpful and will get the learner to where they need to be. And of course, there are going to be learners that are just not meant for medicine or may have professionalism issues or, or real serious issues. But I think the majority of learners that struggle can go through a successful remediation process and, and, and do well and thrive. So, so those who are in those who are in academics right now, as faculty or or um, you know leadership positions in academic medicine, and those who are thinking about it, just remembering that some people um, are food insecure, and so they're mm-hmm. using their last money to pay for the book or the computer that they need to have, and they cannot afford to eat. 
And so they're hungry, but they just may not be able to tell you this. And then you have those who they are the sole breadwinners for their family mm-hmm. and they're in school. And so just sometimes, even if you just you give them a scholarship for a school, but they still have to buy food, they still have to pay rent, they still have to you know, pay for electricity, things like that. So there are a lot of things that some people are going through. Some people have chronic illnesses that, you know, are are not obvious, right? They're not physical disabilities that you may see, but there may be other things that are going on with them. So for all the listeners out there, as you go on this journey to academic medicine, for those who are already within academic medicine, remember that everyone is not, you have to scratch the surface to find out what people's struggles are and find out what their burdens are. And see how do you make this equitable so that they are able to do what they need to do to move forward in academic medicine. So try not to be judgmental. Don't have that unconscious bias uh, saying, oh, that, you know, they're just too dumb to be a doctor. Uh, sometimes there's a, they're, they're, they're shouldering burdens that you could only, you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine. Uh, so I appreciate that when you're talking about the learners in difficulty. Dr. Hodge? Yeah, so... We want to know what's going on with you next. You've been doing so much and academic medicine can't stop, won't stop. So what are you going to do moving forward? Well, you know, I think like like all family medicine program directors, we're, we're hustling in our program to make sure that we are compliant with the new proposed ACGME changes. Oh, Lord, yes. Um, yes, we discussed that, that a little bit earlier. <laughs> Please don't. Podcast. Let's just yeah. pretend and, that's, that's not real. I, 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 am, I don't have to worry. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a step removed from the two of you. So I'm just smiling. <laughs> I have, I, I'm just smiling and, and, and I'm with you in spirit in pain. <laughs> yes. And you know what the funny thing is that, you know, we're all, of course, preparing and, and looking at our own curriculums and trying to make the changes. But it's like, but wait, it hasn't been implemented yet. Right, <laughs> right. You're like in right. this limbo, like, OK, right. do I move forward? Do I wait? And then if I wait, it's going to be too late. You know, so it's it's, it's like a it's horror trailer for a movie that they won't. <laughs> release yes. you know coming soon correct <laughs> <laughs> yes and you know I, I i work in a relatively new program we started our program in, in 2017 um and of course you know whenever you have a, a fairly new program there's always a crisis mm. to be solved and just a, a lot of things that 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 happen that you honestly would would take for granted in an established right. program so one of the things i i want to do is just, you know, continue to stabilize the program, make it more robust, even within the changes that are coming up, continue to increase our residency voice through advocacy and community engagement. You know, I think unfortunately with COVID, a lot of community medicine was deeply affected. Mm. Um, And when we started our program initially, the residents were so engaged and they participated in so many things and that just went by the wayside with COVID. So we just want to really reestablish that connection to our community again. It's good. No, that definitely. I can relate to that. I think we all can relate to that, that a lot of um, COVID kind of just derailed academic medicine in a lot, in a huge way. And just trying right. to get into a new system whereby we can educate everyone and people can feel engaged in doing the extra things, you know, taking care of your, you know, the community is not just studying and passing your t- exams and, and graduating. It's also, you know, looking out for your community, advocating for your patients and, and for your colleagues and for yourself. Right. So, 
Yes. So we're, we're cheering you as you go through this, this, uh, this journey of yours. So as we wrap up, we always end it with the three points you would like our audience to know as we sign off today. Okay. Well, first, please listen to the podcast. Utilize the, <laughs> yeah, utilize the resources that are available. SCFM has so many resources available for academicians. So I think it's, it's really important to just be aware that those resources are there for you. The second is we need family physicians that can understand the perspective and life experiences of the patients they serve. Particularly, we need URM faculty because not only do patients want to see physicians that look like them and can understand them, but so do students. So I just really want to encourage if you're a URM student or resident or community preceptor, we need you. And the third thing is you have a voice, use it. Use it for the benefit yes. of, of students, residents, patients, yourself. I, I think what we say matters and and we don't say enough. Right, right. Well said. That's it. Yes, well said. Well said. Thank you. Ah, thanks. So, this so appreciative is, to have you yeah. on our program mm-hmm. and the pearls that you dropped, I'm sure, will many showers will be yeah <laughs> i will think be much you, better i am getting myself a pair of those headsets yes i am That's the next thing i'm yes. doing as soon as this is over i'm going on i can't i won't, I won't advertise where i'm going but i'm okay. going somewhere to get some <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, that's what happens when you have three kids and you have to multitask. That's right. That's right. That's right. Get it. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I I really appreciate it. And like I mentioned, thanks to both of you for doing an amazing Mm. job and, and making this podcast so wonderful. We hope you've been enjoying this podcast series. Please consider filling out a two minute survey to help us serve you better. Go to www.stfm.org slash urmjam to complete the survey and enter a raffle for a $25 Starbucks gift card. This raffle offer is good until September 29th, 2022. You've been listening to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast providers as well as on our website at stfm.org slash urmjam. Follow us on Twitter at stfm underscore fm. 